Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. Education has been a mainstay in the headlines in recent years here in North Carolina. Today on the show, we're going to talk to one of those education newsmakers, Judge Bob Orr. He's a former North Carolina Supreme Court Justice who recently represented the State Board of Education in a lawsuit before the court over a law passed by the General Assembly shifting powers from the board to State Superintendent Mark Johnson. Then we're going to talk to two journalists who work hard every week covering the rapidly changing news in policy and education. Before we tackle our main topics, we open with our headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. The General Assembly is considering as many as six amendments to the state constitution for the November ballot. The amendments range from a new voter ID requirement to a right to hunt and fish. Education supporters and some business leaders have expressed concern about a proposed amendment to cap corporate and personal income tax rates at the current rate, making it very difficult for any future elected legislatures to make changes to tax laws passed in recent years. Following the tragic school shooting in Parkland, Florida earlier this year, the State House convened a select committee to focus on school safety. During months of meetings, much of the discussion centered on improved student mental health services and addressing the state's school psychologist shortage. But as the short session draws to a close, likely this week, there's very little to show for it. At least three different bills that address school psychologist licensure, pay, and recruitment all failed to advance. A new study just released found that nearly one in five public school teachers have a second job. The data comes from a national survey conducted by the U.S. Department of Education. Now, North Carolina has historically had one of the highest percentages of teachers with a second job, with data in recent years showing as much as 52% of North Carolina teachers had a second job, which at that time was the third highest rate in the country. Finally, President Donald Trump is proposing merging the U.S. Departments of Education and Labor into a single cabinet-level agency called the Department of Education and the Workforce. The White House says it would help create alignment throughout the education to career pipeline and connect workforce development and higher education. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of these headlines as well as all the other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, our first guest recently represented the North Carolina State Board of Education in, in, uh, in a lawsuit over legislation that basically stripped a lot of the power from the State Board of Education and shifted it to uh, Superintendent Mark Johnson. Bob Orr, um, welcome to Education Matters. Thanks for being here. My pleasure, thanks. All right, we've, we've covered this on the show um, a, a few times during right. the whole process. Um, after the decision was announced by the North Carolina Supreme Court, both sides, meaning the, the side that you <laughs> represented, uh, the State Board of Education right. and, and on behalf of Chairman Bill Covey, and Superintendent Mark Johnson both claim victory. Um, so how does that happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, as a practical matter, the court determined that the legislation that the State Board had questioned is, is encroaching on their constitutional power uh, was therefore unconstitutional. Uh, the Supreme Court, in a unanimous 6-0 decision, uh, in an opinion written by Jimmy Irvin, uh, said, no, it doesn't, at least as we read it, encroach on the, on the board's constitutional powers, which 
if you stop right there, I understand the position of uh, the superintendent and others saying, oh, we won. You have to read the opinion to actually see how the court reaches that conclusion. And in doing that, uh, the Supreme Court affirmed that the ultimate constitutional authority for the supervision uh, and administration of the public school system rest with the state board uh, and that the constitutional power and the statutory powers to make rules and regulations govern the uh, mechanics between the board and the superintendent. So from the board's perspective, uh, the the necessary recognition of his constitutional powers is embedded in the, the court's decision. Now, actually, now we, we, we've invited Superintendent uh, Johnson to come on the show. He's been on before, and he said he's going to come on again, so we're going to talk about it with him, but, right. but, but uh, we wanted to have you on uh, uh, today um, to sort of explain, so how is this going to work? I mean, because when I look at, look, I think anyone who's been watching this, clearly the relationship uh, between the, the state superintendent and the Board of Education has been strained, right. to say the least. And we've had, we've had Chairman Kobe on to talk about that as well, too. I mean, how do they, how do they work together? I mean, how, does, how, does the, how do these things get sorted out if there are even, you, they can't agree on what the, what the, <laughs> right. what the ruling said? Well, I, I think one of the uh, immediate outcomes of the opinion was okay, they will do a better job working together. But unfortunately, the decision really didn't give the clarity on sort of key, uh, key aspects of how it is supposed to work. And within a week of the opinion, uh, there were rumors floating about that the superintendent intended to unilaterally fire and then hire key leadership positions in, in the Department of Public Instruction. And, well, in fact, the General yeah. Assembly, I mean, they, there's about $5 million in cuts supposed to happen, and they actually gave them money in the budget for severance. Right. I mean, so I don't think that was a, a far leap to think <laughs> that that might be what's coming. Right. But so, so the board... Uh, had in place and had for a number of years uh, policies or internal rules governing the hiring and firing of senior leadership and, and had a particular role in it and also required dual reporting for these positions to both the superintendent and the board. And within a week of the opinion, uh, a provision appears in a regulatory bill in the General Assembly uh, and it, it passes and in embedded in this bill as a provision that strips the board of uh, the two policies. It repeals the right. two policies. Right. I think that was House Bill yeah. 374, yeah. and, but it does. I mean, it really does. It basically talks about, basically, state board of education policies are, they, they're repealed. The, right. And they have to, you basically, and sort of reinforce, sort of, they're kind of flexing, which I think is actually, and I don't want to, I didn't mean to cut you no, off no. on that, but I mean, it, but it's important because I think the ruling and at least some of the arguments were that really neither the state superintendent or the state board of education is in charge of education in North Carolina. It's the General Assembly. Well, certainly the General Assembly plays uh, a critical role in the passage of laws relative to public education. But the state board is a constitutionally created body and has specific constitutional powers, not the least of which is the ability to use rules and regulations to set the, the overall general policies. Uh, and there's language in Justice Irvin's opinion that acknowledges this and says the General Assembly cannot 
even though it has all this power, it cannot encroach upon these constitutional powers of the board. So uh, unfortunately, after a couple of years of litigation and, and going all the way to the top uh, court in the state, I'm not sure we have the clarity we need on, on how this will work in practice. Yeah, that's what, I, that's what it sounds like to me, and that's why I ask you, I mean, sort of pr practical question. Superintendent Johnson, I'm in charge. I'm going to make this, this, this decision. I mean, does it set up a situation where the state board said, no, actually, we still have the power to oversee that, and we are, you know, we don't agree with this, and you can't do that. I mean, did, <laughs> I mean, could we be heading back to court? And I mean, and you may look, as, as someone who served on the court, you may not want to uh, pontificate <laughs> on this, but did they get it wrong, or did they, do you think they kind of kicked the can down the road a little bit? <laughs> okay. well, I'm hey, asking. You so. know, I, let, let me say, I, I know it's it's a, it was a difficult case to begin with, and, and the court ended up going off on a tact, the rules and regulatory uh, aspects that I don't think either party had really focused on. I mean, it was it was a surprise opinion in that regard. But uh, you know, you ask, will they go back to court? One of the problems is the General Assembly a year ago. Uh, prohibited the state board from hiring outside counsel uh, to to litigate these issues. You know that they can't use uh, public money to to actually get clarification. So uh, the board's in a very difficult position, and the the unfortunate part is we have a million and a half students and a, a ten billion dollar school system that is impacted by this lack of clarity and inability to. Uh, uh, figure out how it's supposed to work. Well, I think I'm, I think that's a that's a good place to close on because I think the, the one and a half million school children are the, are really what's most important here. Right. And I think I know um, um, uh, certainly our viewers hope that the state board and the superintendent can figure out a way to work together on, on these things. And you know, this has not been um, this hasn't been good in a lot of ways, right? It, it's been a difficult situation for board members, uh, uh, and I understand the superintendent has his frustrations uh, and then the General Assembly in its inimitable fashion <laughs> continues to uh, intercede in the matter. Great. Yeah. Thanks for being here with us today. We appreciate it. Thanks, Pat. All right, when we come back, we're going to be joined by two top journalists who cover education and policy week in and week out. But before we go to break, see if you can answer this question. There are 115 school districts in North Carolina. Last year, how many of them met the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommendation of one nurse for every 750 students? Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer D? Last year, only 50 of the state's 115 school districts met the recommended one nurse for every 750 students. 
Now we're going to continue our discussion about education and policy with two great journalists who have been actively covering the many issues we discuss every week on the show, including what we just talked about with Bob Orr. They are Colin Campbell. Colin is the editor of the North Carolina Insider must-read for those who care about policy and politics in North Carolina. And next to him is Liz Schlimmer. Liz is an education reporter with WUNC Radio. So thank you both for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Um, all right, Colin, I'm going to start with you. You've because you, you kind of look at some of these sort of broader political and process things in your work. Um, is this, is this short session, has this been strange? I mean, I mean, as far as the, the budget process, how it, I mean, is it unusual in sort of historical terms? You know, there's always been a history, both under Republican leadership and Democratic leadership in the past, of things towards the end of session getting a little bit hectic, a lot of the transparency uh, approaches going out the window. You see bills that uh, change forms with very little notice to the public. Uh, but I think this year has perhaps gone a step farther than we have in the past. Some of that is uh, just a function of them trying to keep the session really short. They're trying to uh, adjourn by the end of June. They only came in in the middle of May, uh, and there's a lot to do in part because uh, Republicans, I think, recognize that uh, they may or may not have a supermajority when they come back next year, depending on how this year's election goes. So the result is you saw a budget process that was fast-tracked in a way we've never actually yeah, you're seen that one. That one, I mean, the, the bill's being stripped and replaced, and, and I mean, that's kind of... Yeah, that's pretty standard, that's kind of, yeah. But the budget, it was Memorial Day week, budget came out first time, it was a conference report, so basically just the Republican uh, member, caucus members had seen it. Monday night, and then it was voted on, I think, the next afternoon. And by the end of the week, it was over. Yeah, and there was no opportunity for no uh, legislators to amend things, which is, I think, the best example of uh, the problems you had with that was the donors choose issue, where State Senator Jeff Tart right. had put in some money uh, to direct through the organization Donors Choose, which allows teachers to do crowdfunding campaigns online uh, and wanted them to distribute it to schools, but just in his district in Mecklenburg County. Uh, the budget came out, and soon we heard from Donors Choose, who said, We've never heard about this. We were not consulted about this. And in fact, we can't support that because that's not how our organization works. Right. And so that ultimately had to be pulled out of the budget through a technical corrections bill later on. Uh, but that's the sort of thing that had you made the budget public earlier in the process, uh, could have been dealt with pretty easily without it becoming a big news story and a, a PR fail for Senator Tart. Right. All right. Well, Liz, you cover education exclusively for WNC Radio now. Obviously, with, with the, the format of radio, you're not necessarily having to do something every day, but this must have been a little bit challenging session to try to keep up with all the moving parts. Right. This was my first legislative session that I've covered, so I learned a lot uh, going through that and also you know, saw some bills that uh, came up and ultimately did not happen. Yeah, that was actually one of the things you and I were chatting about before we started taping, and we mentioned in our headlines, you had a piece um, just last week on, on, um, on the radio about the school psychologist. Um, there was a lot of activity around that in the school safety discussion, but you, re you did some reporting on basically nothing moved, right? Right, so North Carolina doesn't have enough school psychologists. There are 75 vacancies across the state and school psychologists are serving on average about 2,000 students per psychologist, and that's far beyond the recommended ratios. And this is something that the House Select Committee on School Safety talked about a lot, and several bills were filed. And one of those that got the most traction was a bill that would uh, streamline the process for hiring school psychologists that have a national board certification that would especially make it easier for hiring school psychologists who are trained in other states. Right. It was very popular in the House. It passed unanimously in its early readings. 
and then the Senate tacked on an unrelated health care provision that was very controversial, and it ultimately killed that bill. And so, you know, we haven't seen any measures that would actually address that shortage of school psychologists. How do y'all decide, like, on this story, and Colin, and then uh, to you, how do you decide what to cover? Because to me, you know, like, you know, in my, my, the rest of my life working for a nonprofit, sometimes we'd, we'd want people to care about things or say these are important issues, even though they're not getting a lot of attention. Do you look at it and say, this is something the public should know about? Um, and it's not getting covered, so I'm going to? Is that one, one of your filters? Yeah, there's definitely a level of that. Um, and then there's also, you have to consider, is this something people are going to care about? Can you uh, prove to them that this is going to affect your life or your kids' lives? Um, and, and that's sort of something we have to consider. So sometimes there's some fairly impactful things that are uh, that get overlooked in a session, particularly as hectic a one as we've had here. Uh, and they may be important, but we have a hard time figuring out how can we make people care about this right now? And oftentimes those get overshadowed by the more salacious issues that come out of uh, the legislature. And of course, that's one of the knocks on media overall is that everything just kind of, you cover, sort of thinks the controversies are what's covered. I mean, does, what do you think the public misses in, in specific in education? I mean, what, what do they miss that if they're you know, um, uh, sort of casually paying attention? Well, we try to cover ongoing issues, so things like that school psychologist issue, you know, I was looking at it over time, watching it develop, and then to show in the end what happened with it. So we, you know, we are trying to look at things long term. Um, but there are some things that are interesting, but maybe don't have impact for our listeners in this area. Things like there was a law that was passed that helps with licensing teachers who are teaching the Cherokee language out in Western North Carolina. That's a very interesting little piece, but we knew that it wasn't going to have a direct impact for listeners in this area, so that might be something that I'll pick up in a feature later, but didn't get as much coverage when it became law. Right, so we've probably got a few, just a few days left. In fact, by the time this show airs on Saturday, we may be completely done or close to it. I mean, what, what, what's gonna happen this week? We've got as many as six constitutional amendments um, uh, on the ballot. Yeah, and there's several that have some interesting implications. I think the one that uh, uh, hopefully by the time this airs, people will know whether it passed or not, but uh, was having some turmoil in the House is that income tax cap essentially preventing future legislatures from increasing the income tax. That has had a lot of concerns of uh, people in the uh, education community worried that uh, if schools are facing a shortfall, will the state be able to have a way to uh, grow that revenue and avoid uh, some pretty painful cuts to the school system? Uh, another uh, issue is all the veto overrides. The governor has vetoed seven bills, uh, ranging from things involving early voting uh, to uh, the farm bill. Uh, there's an interesting provision in that, that uh, in a different bill that involves bond forfeitures. Uh, that's when you uh, don't show up to court, uh, your bond money goes away, and that usually goes to education, uh, but there's a bill that uh, would make it easier for bail bondsmen to get that money back, I'll depending see, on the circumstance. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. what I missed. Governor so vetoed I it. I think there's some concerns from schools about the funding implications right. of that, but it's one that uh, most people didn't catch when it was coming through the first time. Well, look, well, you're going to help. You both of you help us catch a lot of things, and we appreciate <laughs> you coming on the show this week to talk about it more, and we hope you'll come back. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Thank After the break, this week's Leadership Spotlight.
Each week, Education Matters spotlights individuals demonstrating exceptional leadership in education in North Carolina based on nominations from you, our viewers. This week, we spotlight the Gentleman's Agreement, an achievement program that supports young African-American men in Wilson County. Leadership Spotlight is brought to you by Participate, where we believe every student deserves equitable access to quality education. Straight and narrow. That's the path that the Gentleman's Agreement helps you stay on. It's hard out here for black males and don't want to be a statistic, just want to live up to the expectations and so show that we could be strong in everything that we do. We challenge them to be the best that they can be and not to settle for anything less than that. Let's determine who we are and what we can be in the future and not let our society define our values. They are of immense value and worth as young black men. And we say that unapologetically. You have to be the best that you can be regardless of what your, the complexion of your skin, the texture of your hair. We say to them, respect yourself as young black men. The importance of education in, in, the, in the black community, that has long been the ticket. We went to the CNN Center. It was a big deal for me because I've never been there. And then I was, it was a, the, it's a political time. And another trip we went to was um, D.C., we went to D.C. We toured the African American Museum of History and Culture. There, of course, the King Memorial as well and other sites. And then locally, their workshops with the um, Department of Social Services did a financial literacy workshop. We're exposing these guys to a world beyond these boundaries here. Ward members uh, are part of workshops. They are part of you know, the mentoring process to help to ensure the longevity of the program. The earlier we start a program like this, uh, the greater the impact. Every school in Wilson County will have a version of the gentleman's agreement. Their worth and their value is not measured in how much money they make. It's not measured in the number of things that they get. It is measured in what they do when they reach back and give their time, their talents, their resources to those who will follow them. That is how we know we've made a difference. Gentlemen's Agreement has the possibility of transforming generations of not just African-American boys, but a community and low a nation. If you know someone that deserves to be recognized, please visit our website, ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. For my final word, I want to go back to one of our headlines. After the February school shooting that left 17 students and teachers dead in Parkland, Florida, there appeared to be real movement across the country and here in North Carolina to take steps to protect our students. While the usual political divisions remained over the role easy access to guns plays, it did seem there was a consensus that our children needed access to better mental health and other support services. 
Yet here we are, the short session ending this week, and the General Assembly didn't pass a single bill aimed at addressing our state school mental health crisis. In North Carolina, as you heard us mention earlier, our school psychologists often serve multiple schools and more than 2,000 students each. Experts actually recommend a ratio of no more than 500 to 700 students per psychologist. The one bill that uh, Liz Schlimmer mentioned that it was aimed at boosting hiring passed unanimously in the North Carolina House, unanimously, yet died in the Senate after a provision attacking elements of Obamacare was inserted. In the, in the end, only a single budget line item of $10 million for competitive grants to support students in crisis became law. That's certainly not enough to make a meaningful dent in the need, not to mention it's one-time grant money, not something our cash-strapped school districts can rely on for full-time hires. This session, legislators took the time to pass a proposed amendment enshrining the right to hunt in our Constitution, a bill based on language being pushed by the National Rifle Association across the country. Our elected officials should have spent less time on constitutional amendments protecting hunting from imaginary threats and more time on the real threats our students face. Thanks for, thanks for watching, and that's, we'll see you soon.